Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord.
But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is the gospel of the Lord.
Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are Christians. To be a Christian is to be conformed to the image of Christ. If he is the head, we are the body, his members. His will is our will. His deeds are our deeds. There was a phrase uh, and a phase that people were going through where they wore bracelets with the letters WWJD on them, which stood for, What Would Jesus Do? These words, while good intentioned, missed the mark. In the epistle lesson appointed for today, we don't speculate on what Jesus would do, but we see and are called to emulate what Jesus did do. Our epistle lesson begins with these words, For to this you were called. What are we called to do? Well, we're to look to the preceding verses for the referent. Verse 20, right before this, says, But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. As Christians, we are called to suffer with patience, to do good even when the world punishes us for it. That is what is commendable before God. It is to that that we are called. Why are we called to do this? Why are we called to suffer with patience? Well, our lesson tells us, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Here, the Holy Spirit through St. Peter is employing the passion and crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ in a way that we don't hear about or talk about very often. Here, Jesus is an example. He is a pattern. He is a guide. We are to be imitators of the God-man Jesus Christ. And we are to be his imitators, especially when we suffer. St. Peter doesn't say in our text today, imitate Christ's preaching. St. Peter doesn't say, imitate Christ's nomadic mode of life. St. Peter doesn't say, imitate Christ's casting out of the moneylenders from the temple. No, the Holy Spirit through St. Peter says, imitate Christ by suffering evil while doing good. Well, what does that look like? Well, let us look at the life of Christ. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. We see this especially in the crucifixion, which we heard about not too many weeks ago. When the chief priests, who mocked with the scribes and the elders, said about Jesus as he hung on the cross, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel... Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. A similar thing happens to Christians today, and we hear about it throughout the scriptures. Many Christians are faithful, 
yet they suffer the weight of many crosses. We just sung about this. We see this in the Bible as well. Job's friends were absolutely sure that Job had done something sinful to merit such a terrible fate. The disciples in the New Testament thought that the man born blind was blind either because of his own sin or because of the sin of his parents. When faithful Christians who strive to be Christ-like are beset with sickness or poverty or loss, the world soon croons over them. And they say things like this. What point is there in following your God? Why go to church? Why receive God's gifts? Why strive to follow God's law? He obviously doesn't love you, or you wouldn't have cancer. You wouldn't have gotten divorced, or you wouldn't have lost your child. And yet, despite the reviling and the mockery which Christ endured, Christ did not revile them. He did not hate them. He did not condemn them. Instead, he prayed for them. And indeed, one of the thieves on the cross repented and was saved. In a similar way, Christians ought to forgive those who reviled them, and we should pray earnestly for their salvation. No doubt, we should also pray that God would break and hinder their unholy and their evil wills. But we still pray for them. We pray for their salvation. Since our war is not against flesh and blood, our war is against the rulers of the darkness of this age, it is against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So what else does a Christian reaction to suffering look like? Look again to Jesus. When Jesus suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Now, obviously, the life of faith is the opposite of the life of sin. The life of sin can be summed up in the life of the patriarch Lamech, the seventh from the line of Cain. He wrote the first pagan poetry, and this poetry exalted himself, and it reveled in the power and the might of his own arm. Lamech's first poem was this. You can read about it in Genesis. Adam and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. You see, here in this poem, Lamech scorns the idea of there being a God who will avenge. We might paraphrase his poem in this way. Lamech is saying, it is all bunk that you believers preach about there being a God who punishes violence, who judges the strong and the fat, who feeds them with justice. I don't believe it. I don't believe that there's a God at all. And even if there was a God, I don't need his protection. If anyone should get fresh with me, I'll bank on my trusty sword and I'm quick on the draw. But Lamech's attitude and actions are vastly different from that of the actions and attitude of our Lord. The Lord does not threaten. The Lord does not take vengeance by the strength of his own arm. 
He knows that might does not make right. Instead, our Lord Jesus commended everything to his Father in heaven, who judges righteously. This is especially true when our Lord didn't, when he didn't just suffer the hatred of men, but when he was forsaken by God himself. Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt God's wrath. Jesus felt God's condemnation against all sin. In his heart and in his soul, Jesus felt the torments of hell itself, as if Jesus had committed all of the sins of mankind. That is a real fact. This was the travail of his soul. Christ's spiritual suffering went way, way, way beyond his physical suffering. Because to be forsaken by God is far, far worse than physical death. But Christ did not despair on the cross. Despair is a sin, and this sin would conflict with the sinlessness of Christ. And we see that Christ continued to trust in God despite his forsakenness. And this is why Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus bears all of these tortures of conscience without sin, and he retains filial trust in his heart. During this time, we also know that Christ was always his Father's Son. The very fact that Christ endured these punishments is a sign that he remained the object of God's supreme love, even while at the same time he was under his dreadful wrath. Now we often say, well, Christ is perfect and we're not, so we can't try to be like him in this way. But look at the Bible. Look at Joseph. Wasn't Joseph a God-fearer? Didn't Joseph suffer for doing good when he resisted the wiles of Potiphar's wife, when he was unjustly thrown into prison? And didn't Joseph forgive the malice and the evil of his brothers? And didn't he hand all of these things over to God who judges righteously? And David, didn't David also act in this way when he was wronged by his son Absalom and when Shammai reviled him? St. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, also prayed for his enemies as they were killing him with stones, saying, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And what about Abraham, who was commanded by God to sacrifice his own son whom he loved? And wasn't Abraham faithful even as his heart must have surely broken within his breast. Did Abraham not trust that God would raise even Isaac from the dead, which God figuratively did? The saints of Scripture show us that we can and we ought to be imitators of our Lord Jesus Christ. But how? Where do we find the strength to forgive those who wrong us? How do we receive the trust that we need to walk through these dark days, believing in our heart of hearts that God is still gracious, that he hasn't forsaken us utterly? How can we commend all of our earthly goods to God, whether it be money or family or peace or health or wife or children? Well, this Christian life comes from the power of the gospel. 
a might of God to save both the Jew and the Greek. The gospel is this. It is good news. It is good news that we have a gracious God on account of what Christ did. You see, Christ's death on the cross is not only an example. Christ's example on the cross is at the same time the wellspring of our life and our confidence. We know that God loves us. He gave us his only begotten son on the cross. We know that Jesus loves us because he tells us that he bore in his body our sins. He laid down his life, his very soul, for our sakes. He suffered the red tooth and claw of the wolf while, his beloved, while he let his beloved sheep escape. And this God-man, this good shepherd, is not dead. He does not sleep. He is not ignorant of what is happening in your life today. For didn't he promise that the very hairs on your head are numbered? Doesn't he give you that very pledge and guarantee of his love in the Lord's Supper? Doesn't he promise and put forward as collateral his body and blood that he truly has forgiven us all of our sins? And that he works all things in this world together for our good. And do we not stand in our baptisms, that seal of righteousness, which has given us new life and daily forgives us our sins, thereby saving us. And so with all of these blessed assurances, we see that this world is not a perfect hell, but as the psalmist says, the earth, even to this very day, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. God has given us far more than we deserve. The food that we eat is an undeserved gift. We deserve to starve for our sins. The clothes on our back are a gift. For we ought to walk in the shame of nakedness in our iniquity. The wives which we receive and the children God gives to us, even if we only have them for a short time, are a blessed gift that we don't deserve. God's good and gracious will delivers us from all evil, even from our own evil. The death of the saints is no true death, for they are taken by the angels to Abram's bosom, and they are freed from every evil, from the reviling of the world, and from the insidious whisper of our own depraved nature. God is not our enemy, and he's not asleep. He's not dead. No, our good shepherd has taken his life up again. He still pours out blessings upon us each and every day, Blessings that we don't often notice or even thank him for. And when in his grace and his mercy he withholds or takes things away, then we grumble and we complain, we hate God and we rage against him, and we threaten him rather than commending all things into his care. And yet, despite all of this, despite our shallow thankfulness, despite our sinful murmuring, despite our callous hearts, our good shepherd still bears with us, he still loves us, and he still gives us what we do not deserve. That's the thing. God is not fair. And thanks be to God that he's not fair. For he himself took our punishment, and we receive all of his life and all of his blessings. And so may God forgive us. May he change our hearts by the power of the gospel, and strengthen and sustain our lives 
of faith. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.